Heavenly Father, as hard as this is for me, I am asking you to search me. Search me, God, and know my heart. God, test my motives. Reveal to me my anxious thoughts. Show me anything in me that offends you. God, I want to see in me what you see in me, so I can become more like Jesus. God, I ask you to search me. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 139. Psalm chapter 139. We are starting a brand new series uh, this morning uh, entitled Dangerous Prayers. Dangerous Prayers. And uh, just an amazing time we're going to spend talking about three prayers uh, that we can pray that truly are dangerous prayers. And before we get into uh, even unpacking this together, I really want us to take some time this morning at the onset to decide today, decide right now, that if we are going to pray these prayers, that we're going to be open, uh, we're going to be honest, uh, we're going to be real and genuine before God this morning. Uh, that we are going to not just nod our heads in church and just go with the flow and just kind of pretend, okay, yep, everything's good, I'm here. But we're going to look forward to engaging God this morning. Uh, we're going to desire Him more than we desire anything else for the next half hour, 45 minutes. We're going to be hungry for Him. Uh, what Greg said is so true. We were dead bones, the Bible says. You were in a tomb, covered up, dead. No life in you. And then Ephesians 2, praise God, says that Jesus Christ quickened us. He made us alive by his grace and by his strength. And so when we talk about this idea of coming back to life or coming to life, it is an act of his grace that he chose to extend his salvation to us. And we, in faith, respond and humbly submit ourselves, and we cry out, repent of our sins, and we ask him to save us from our sins, not because we're able to save ourselves, but because we're unable to do anything to save ourselves. And if that's true, and if you're here and you know Christ, then as you go before God this morning in this time of understanding these three prayers, my goal for the next three weeks is not to just go to church and get some knowledge and get some information. It's, God, we're going to pray these prayers honestly and openly before you. I believe that we, as a church, if we will pray these prayers with a heart of openness and realness before God, he will grow us and this church beyond anything we can imagine. Let me say that again. If we will pray these prayers with realness and openness before God, he will not only grow us individually in him and understanding what he has for us and who we can be and should be in Christ, he will grow this church beyond anything that we can even imagine. And see, some of us, if I'm being honest, some of us, we want to believe that. But we just don't really know. If I seem a little more inspired today, I had a chance to visit the promised land yesterday. I went up the mountain yesterday. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? Uh, we were blessed to go to a Michigan game at the big house yesterday, Sandra and I. And just walking onto that holy ground, it was amazing. I just felt the spirit of God. I told someone I should have a veil on this morning, I think, to cover the Shekinah glory that I found yesterday. But you know what's funny is uh, during the, the game, you're sitting there, and it was 
it's amazing. Like I've seen on TV tons of Michigan games. But when you see it in real life, you can't understand the magnitude of that place. Like just the size of that crowd. It is, it's, it's insane to think about. And Sander leaned over to me somewhere during the game. I don't remember if it was towards the third quarter, fourth quarter. And she just kind of said, could you imagine like preaching to a crowd this size? And she said, do you think I'd be, like, would you be scared, basically, to preach to a crowd this size? And I said, no, this big a crowd, I don't got to look at any of them. Like, so many people, I could offend two-thirds, and I don't know, I just can't even tell, okay? And I said, I, I kind of just, guys, this is how we think as human beings, isn't it? You know what my first thought was beyond that thought? A guy like me? A guy like me would never be able to preach or be asked to preach to a crowd like this. They would never want a, a simple, ordinary, average, just a basic guy like me. There's no way. And I started thinking, and I even named someone. I said, now a guy like this could preach to a crowd like this. Man, a guy like a Charles Stanley, that's the guy you want preaching to 109,000 people. That's the guy that you would expect to come in and preach to a crowd. A Louis Giglio, that's the kind of guy that would come and preach to a crowd like that. A Francis Chan or a David Platt. These are guys that, man, those are people that get asked to do things like this. And now understand what I'm saying. If I'm never asked to preach to more than just whoever shows up here, I'm good with that. I don't have this vision of preaching the thousands. I have a vision to serve God faithfully, and whatever that looks like, I'm good with. I would love for our church to be thousands of people in size, because I believe that's thousands of people hearing the gospel, being discipled, and going out and making a difference. It's not so that we have the biggest, nicest church in Lapeer County or we have the most money in our budget. That is so meaningless to me. I, as long as we're doing what God has called us to do financially with our, our money as a church, I'm good there. But I would love that to have thousands of people coming together to worship God and, and being able to spend time with them as they worship. But hear what I'm saying. My initial reaction was a human one, not a spiritual one. My initial reaction was, God, not only I could never do that, God, could you ever do that? And isn't it funny how our brains work that way? We instantly take all of our limitations and we put them on God. Well, God, since I can't understand how that could ever happen, you must not be able to ever do that. Well, God, I don't get how you could ever do that in your life, so you must not be able to do that at all. Man, isn't it his word that says he can do above all that we ask or imagine? Exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think? Like, you can't imagine something that is in God's will. Let me just add that on there, because this is where a lot of guys on TV will use that same reference and talk about you driving a Ferrari, okay? Or you living in the big house, okay? Not, not the big house. I mean, a big house, okay? Like, that's not what I was getting at. I believe God can do anything that God desires to do that aligns with his will to his glory. And that means he can do that in your life. But hear me now. You better make sure what you're praying isn't just your lustful dream and it's his willed desire. Because you pray for something just to consume it on your own lust. He says, why would I ever give that to you as a good and loving heavenly father? I'm not going to do that because that's just going to draw you away from me. I want you closer to me. And so when I talk about us praying these prayers and God changing us on the inside, from the inside out and then changing our church to his glory, we sit there and go, oh, amen, that would be great. One day, maybe kind of, sort of, if God could even do it. I've said it before, I love reading the stories in the Gospels about Jesus preaching at a home and the guy, they cut open the roof. Remember this story? 
And the four friends cut open the roof and they lower this guy down because they couldn't get in the house. There was people outside the house looking in the windows in the house, crammed in so tight. These guys were like, we got to get to Jesus. We're going to cut a hole in the roof. Again, I've always said this about this story. That's an amazing story unless you're, guy, you're the guy that owns the house. If you're the guy owning the house, you're like, what are you doing to my roof? It's like, what in the world? But I love the way it's described. There were so many people. People were outside the windows and looking in and just crowded in. Could you imagine going to a church service like that? And not because the band was great. Not because some great keynote speaker was speaking who wrote a couple books and you want to go have, sign your book. But just because the presence of Jesus Christ was there and you wanted to go hear a message from God's word. And you wanted to worship with God's people. And you were just so hungry for that. You, man, you fought to get through the traffic. Do you know something else that stood out to me yesterday? We were walking to the game and it started pouring. And then we were about two-tenths of a mile from the stadium and we see these little signs in the lawn. You think they put them a little farther away. And it says, no bag notice in the stadium. And we stopped. And Sandra and I had this look on our face like, and guess what we realized Sandra has in her hands? Her bag. And so we're like, well, we'll walk, you know, we have to walk back to the car. We got no other choice. We can't, we're not going to throw the person in the garbage, okay? We can't do that. So we start walking back. Well, as we're walking back, you hear that, and the thunder gets a little louder and a little closer, and it starts raining, and we're just really happy and joyful in the Lord. (laughs) And as we're walking back, someone says, well, it's okay. The game's delayed. Like, that makes it that much better. We were soaked. And so we go back to the car, we get everything, we dry off in the car, we're going to go, it clears up, beautiful day, gorgeous day. We get back to the, we're sitting there, it's like I was at a Tigers game in July. It was just 75, 80 degrees, sunny, it was beautiful. But you know what I realized? All these people walked away from the game because it was raining and bad weather. And there was a chance for a lot worse weather. Do you know what they all did when the rain cleared up? They all came back. And they risked bad weather to sit there to watch a sporting event. As much as I loved watching that game, I didn't go down on the field and join the game. Me being there had no effect on them winning or losing. They played the game. But do you get what I'm saying here? All of these people, 109,000 people said, yeah, we'll go watch this game. We'll go support this tradition and this heritage. It doesn't matter it's going to rain on us. We're, it's worth being here. And my thought was, God, would you humble my heart because... If, if we had to go through that just to sit through a church service, like I have to check my heart because I would wonder, would I even show up? Like, do you get where I'm going here? 109,000 people paid money to go sit in the rain to watch a football game they had no effect on. For entertainment and history and heritage. And it was great and I loved it, but it dawned on me, Lord, give your church a hunger like these fans have for this team, for you. And so that's the point of this message this morning in the next three weeks is to have a hunger to not only know Christ and walk with Christ, but to be close to him enough that we pray these kind of honest prayers. Because here's the reality. Most Christians in our country do not pray dangerous prayers. We, in fact, pray very safe prayers, don't we? Like, just think for a moment about your normal prayer life and what do you usually pray for? And you, we usually pray for safe prayer type things. Lord, comfort me, right? Lord, protect me. Lord, 
bless me. Lord, provide for me. Now, are any of those things wrong to pray? Nope. But are those dangerous prayers? Are those edgy prayers? Are those, man, I really want to be stretched to my limit for God's glory? Those are very safe things. And in fact, our prayer life tends to get more and more safe the older we get, isn't it? Lord, don't, basically here's what we're praying. Lord, put me in no situation where I have to actually trust you. Just make it so comfortable and safe that I can just live my life in peace and joy. Man, we need to stretch our prayer life. I need to stretch my prayer life. And it's fine to say, Lord, protect me and give me traveling mercies. But man, maybe sometimes we need to pray, Lord, stretch my faith today. Lord, put me in a situation today that I have no other choice but to trust in you. Lord, maybe, Lord, this is really hard, but Lord, take some things from me because I'm really comfortable, so maybe I need to give some things up. Lord, maybe I need to be challenged in some way. Lord, would you challenge my thinking? Those are dangerous prayers if we're thinking naturally. And so let's jump into the first dangerous prayer. Psalm 139, verse 23. Psalm 139, verse 23 says this. And our title is drawn from the first two words. The first prayer is a prayer for search me. Search me. He says here, the psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Here's the crazy part. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, bless your word. And Lord, I pray that we'd be stretched today. I pray that we would pray the prayer to be searched today. And as we walk this out, Lord, I pray that you alone would be glorified. Father, thank you for your word and the truth we find therein. Increase our hunger for you, that we would desire you more than anything else. Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This type of prayer can be very scary and intimidating. We are opening ourselves up to a God that is capable of knowing our innermost thoughts and feelings. It's easy to tell someone that you know can't see your heart or can't actually get inside, go ahead and search me and try me. And you think on the outside I can fool you and I can trick you because I know you can't get in. But here's the trick. When you're praying to God, search me and try me and search my heart and those things, guess what God can do? He is more than capable of trying and searching and looking into your heart. In fact, David knows this because he opens up this chapter, Psalm 139. He opens up the very beginning of the chapter in this psalm by praising God that he is all-knowing. He spends the first quite a few verses praising God for being all-knowing. In this chapter, we read that David marveled that he cannot, we cannot then, therefore, right? If he cannot, we cannot hide from God no matter where we may go. He also praises God for his power of creating and forming new life. God is all-knowing, amen? I'm thankful my God is all-knowing because that makes him God. If my God can be surprised by something, or if my God has an oops moment, oops, I didn't realize that would happen. Didn't think that through. Then he's not much of a God worth worshiping. But if he is truly the God of Scripture and he is all-knowing, do you ever just sit back and think about that reality of your God? That everything that has been, is, and will be forever in both directions, he is aware of 
at the same time. It's not like he learned something. He, God, knew all of it, and he knew it all at once. That's amazing. That's your God. And if you know him as your Savior through Christ, that's your Father, the Bible says. He is all-knowing. Do you know why else that is comforting? Because you can trust a God that knows all things to know what's best for you. Right? You can trust a God that knows all things to know exactly what is best for you. He can't encourage you or give you advice or counsel to do something that would be bad for you because he would know it's bad for you. And he says, my desire for you is good things, to prosper you. Not necessarily wealth, but as far as in Christ. And so we have trust in him, which is key, because if we're going to pray this prayer, we have to believe that he is good. So I'm going to walk through this dangerous prayer. Let's just break apart these phrases, and we'll kind of walk through them quickly this morning. The first thing we see is the opening, search me. It says, search me, God, and know my heart's. So why do we need to ask God to search my hearts? Doesn't he know my heart anyway? Well, yes, he does, but you're inviting him into a relationship. He knows your heart, but now you're giving him the opportunity. You're, You're voicing to him by faith, I want you to engage my heart. Or people may say, isn't my heart basically good? The truth is, without Christ, our hearts are not good but worse than we can imagine. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Some of you know this verse very well. The human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I love the New Living Translation there. Who really knows how bad it is? Without Christ, your heart in its natural state is not good. It is desperately wicked. This is why when people say, if it feels good, do it, is the worst advice Ever. Or just follow your heart. Someone tells you to follow your heart, don't listen to them. Because your heart, the Bible says, is desperately wicked. Now, in Christ, here's the beauty of this in Christ, we are given a, the Bible says, new heart. But guess what still remains? The old heart until we're glorified and we stand with Him complete. And so that's that war that takes place. When you have a desire to do something for God, that's that newness coming through. When you have a desire for the flesh, that's that old man kind of coming, creeping back in. And we have to decipher between these two desires. The greatest lie that we tell ourselves is, or the greatest lie we tell is the one we tell ourselves. We lie to ourselves about how bad we really are without Christ. In Christ, our hearts have been made new, but there is still this back and forth from the old wicked heart and the new spirit-filled heart. I want to tell you guys, this prayer is one that I believe carries so much power to impact our daily lives for Christ. I'll tell you, it's actually, just being a little transparent here, it's one of the prayers I try, not always, but I try to pray every time before I ever open my mouth and say, thus saith the Lord when I preach to a crowd or to a group. Every devotion, every Bible study, I try to always say, Lord, search my heart. Search me right now. Because if I'm going to tell someone what God's word said, I better make sure there's nothing in this eye. That I am pure before him. That I have repented of anything that needs to be repented of. That he is searching me and trying me. It's not just about praying this prayer, however. Because if we're not careful, what can we fall into? That trap of ritualistic prayer. 
I told you guys, my stepdad grew up Catholic. I'm not, nothing against Catholic. I'm just saying that's where he grew up. And he was taught this, the Lord's Prayer, the example model prayer. And he believed that part, you don't need any knowledge of Jesus Christ, any knowledge of repentance of sin. As long as I just repeat these words over and over again, I'm good. That's what he took from what he was taught. And so he told me one time when I talked about Jesus Christ, he says, I pray. He says, I pray every day. Was he praying with a heart in Christ, a heart of repentance? No, he was just repeating some words because he thought that gained him something with God. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can fall into the trap of just praying prayers, saying words, and thinking, because I said it, it must be good. And God's saying, you said it, but you didn't really mean it. And so here, it's not just about praying a prayer. It's about listening to God after you pray. It's saying, God, search me, know my heart, and then be willing to be quiet enough to hear what he has to say. It's not that he speaks audibly, but that still small voice that speaks into your heart and mind. Here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. Are you ready? I want you to get alone with God. No distractions, no noise. 15, 20 minutes. I want you just to open with, God, would you search me and try me? Would you look into my heart? And then just be silent before him. And just sit there silently. Don't think about it. Don't ask for anything. Just sit there and just wait for God to begin to reveal. You know what's amazing is? When you ask God to search your heart, he will. And all of a sudden, he'll start to reveal some things to you, and that's where it gets a little uncomfortable, right? He'll start revealing some of that hypocrisy. You say this, but you really do this. He'll start revealing to you some of that bitterness. You say you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you're kind of mad that so-and-so got this. He'll reveal to you the last time you spoke with him, the last time you were in his word, the last time you shared your faith. And all of a sudden we get a little uneasy. But man, I'm telling you, the minute he brings it to the surface, we can then move forward. We can then begin to move on in our walk with Christ. The power of this prayer is in the outcome that is possible. What is the outcome of praying, God, search me, And know my heart. It's to be closer with him. It's a closer intimacy that comes with God as he reveals those things in my heart that are distracting me from him. So we have to pray, search me. But the second thing we need to understand in this prayer that we see as we go on here is not just search me. We're asking God to reveal my fears. To reveal my fears. He says this, test me and know my anxious thoughts. In the King James, it says just our word, thoughts. If you notice that there, verse 23 says, and know my thoughts. However, in other translations, it says anxious thoughts. So if you have a different translation that maybe says anxious thoughts, that's why uh, it explains the word thoughts. So I'm going to give you guys some background on this because I think once we break this down, we'll totally identify with what David is saying here. When you look up this word thoughts in the original language, it carries the idea of not just thinking or ideas, but it actually defines as, and if you're taking notes, disquieting thoughts. That's the, the actual definition of, that, of the original word. Disquieting thoughts. Now, I don't have to even describe what that means. Some of you already know what a disquieting thought looks like and sounds like, don't you? You know when they usually come? When do disquieting thoughts usually come into our mind? Right before bed. And you ever have that where you're laying in bed and all of a sudden this thought comes on you and you just can't seem to get away? How would you describe your mind in that moment? Quiet and peaceful? No, chaotic. 
and you're just kind of weighing this stuff out and you're thinking through all these things. This idea of quieting thoughts also carries further. The original word means divided opinion or the idea of thinking that is cut off from other thoughts. It's basically this broken up way of thinking. It's this divided thinking. Basically, David is saying, my thinking is erratic or anxious. So what makes David anxious? Well, that's not a hard question because what makes our thoughts anxious? What makes us worried or afraid? And if I asked you to raise your hand and tell me something that makes you afraid, not fear of the dark or fear of spiders or any kind of... I'm talking fears that just keep you up at night. Anxious thoughts. The list of things that make us anxious can be endless. Our fears can take many forms. For some, you have a fear of failure. And it drives you to sacrifice anything and everything so that you achieve your goal. That you achieve what you set out to do. And you have anxiety when you feel like you're not giving your best. And you feel like maybe I'm not doing it best. I'm not doing it well. And you're doing the best you can, but you're just anxious because you're so afraid of failure. Some of you battle with that. Now, there's nothing wrong with having goals and striving for goals. But some of you know what I mean when I say this. It literally keeps you up at night if you feel like I may have let someone down today. I may have not been perfect today. For some of you, your fear is success. Because the more successful you are in a field, the more you're pushed, the more you're tried, the more you have to give up. And you're just terrified of success. You have to surrender all these things. How about a broken marriage that will never get better? You're just afraid. Your marriage, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've tried it, will never get better. Some of you have experienced where you've done everything possible in Christ to change and improve your marriage, and it still fell apart. Not because of you. Let's be real. Maybe because of the other person not wanting to actually put the work in. But maybe you're here and you're just like, man, I just don't think my marriage will ever get better. How about loss of a job? Not that you have lost it, but you think you might lose it. And you're terrified of that. The death of a loved one. That all those things that just make our mind race and so on and so forth. And it can just be overwhelming to us. So why do we need to ask God to try or test us and reveal our fears? The truth is in order that we may grow in him. The truth is, and this is the part that, man, for me, it just hits so close to home. And I was reading and studying the last couple of weeks, and an author brought this out, and I believe it's so true. And this is what makes this a dangerous prayer. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. That's tough for me to say, let alone from when I read it myself, and God impacted that in my heart. What we fear the most reveals to us where we trust God the least. The truth is, until we surrender that fear, we will not grow in our faith in that area. If I'm afraid my bills won't get paid, I trust God least in my finances. If I'm afraid my marriage won't get better, this is the key, whether it does or doesn't get better, you need to trust God personally so that he will grow your faith That's how we trust God, even in our marriage that isn't going like we want. So what is your fear? And if you thought of it this way, what I fear most is where I trust God the least. 
then what do you want to do about that? You see, David says, test me, try me, right? Know my thoughts. What makes me anxious? We must come to realize those areas because we are led, when we are led by the Spirit through faith in Him and not in fear, we will see the victory Christ wants to give us. We are to be led by the Spirit in faith and not by fear. We cannot allow fear to control us. One speaker said it so well, I must love pleasing God more than I am afraid of that fear. I must love pleasing God more than I'm afraid of that fear. I must make the decision. I love God and pleasing him more than I'm afraid of this. And as we allow God to try us and to test and try our thoughts, we will find victory and the power to overcome those fears. And where do we start? What does the Bible say when I have anxiety to do? He says, when you're anxious, pray. Isn't it beautiful? We think anxiety fix, right? I told our men's group here a while ago, when, when your wife starts telling you something's wrong, don't try to fix it, just listen. Because sometimes we try to fix it and we don't actually hear and then we mess everything up, right? No men in here know what I'm talking about. You're all just staring at me like, what? I don't have any idea. What are you talking about? And no wife in here has ever just wanted to vent to her husband just to have him listen to her and not solve it, right? I just want to talk to you. Just always try to fix everything. Well, he's a guy, okay? Like, that's just what they do. Like, stop being surprised when guys are guys and girls are girls. Okay, this isn't a shocker. When I understand and I truly listen to what God's word says, when I have anxiety, I don't try to fix it myself. I just pray. And I make my supplication, my request known to God. And then all of a sudden, my anxiety will begin to lift. Not because everything is solved and perfect, but because I'm trusting in the one who is greater than my fear. I'm trusting in the one who is greater than my anxiety. So we need to reveal our fears. Also, we need to uncover my sins. We need to ask God through this prayer, uncover my sins. It says here in verse 24, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Another translation says it this way, see if there is any offensive way in me. We're asking God, show me anything in my life that is displeasing to you. It is so hard to see our own sins in the mirror, isn't it? Isn't it difficult to really be honest with yourself about your sins, your struggles? It's easier to point out the sin in others, right? Well, just see, they do, and they, and, and they, and then he, and then she did, and then they did. And it's so easy to point out the sin in others. We accuse others and excuse ourselves. We all must be real and give God the freedom to point out any sin in my life. You must look in that mirror of the word of God and say, show me. But let me encourage you, as we are getting honest with God, we must get honest with ourselves. I want to give you three personal questions you can ask yourself if you're on this journey of trying to ask God, uncover my sins. Where am I struggling in this idea of sinning before you? Because listen, honestly, how can I help you to, to be aware of where your struggles are. That's my goal, is that you will repent of these things, confess these things, and find a closer walk with Christ. So three personal questions. What are others trying to tell me? What are others trying to tell you? If someone you love and care for is saying, this is 
scaring me. This is concerning me. This is, I don't think this is right. And I really want to pray with you about this. And you're hearing this from people you love and care for. And they're telling you these things. And it's consistently from people that you trust spiritually. What are they trying to tell you? Maybe there's an issue. What have I rationalized for some time? What have I rationalized for some time? May not be right, but it's not a big deal, right? I'm not hurting anybody. That's not their business anyway. It's no one's business but mine. See, these are things that people who are trying to rationalize sin tell themselves over and over again. Let me ask you the third one. Where am I the most defensive? Where am I most defensive? This is where somebody brings it up and you just shut down. Nope, we're not going there. Nope, don't go there. Nope, we're not talking about that. Or you just shut down and get quiet because you don't want to deal with it. Nope, not going to go there, not going to talk about it. You can say whatever you want. What are people trying to tell you? What have you rationalized for some time? And where are you most defensive? If you are hearing people say similar things to you about an area of your life, if you are justifying it and defensive about it, all I would ask you to do is this, what David did, pray. Seek God and ask him if this issue is offensive to him. As God reveals sin in our lives, we take a powerful step in admitting them to ourselves and to him in prayer. But it can't stop with just admitting. We're so good to say, okay, God, I get it. That's a weakness that's the sin in my life, and I'm sorry about that. And then six months later, we pray the same prayer. And three months later, we pray the same prayer. And six days later, we pray the same prayer. Because admitting it is a great first step, but it doesn't start there. Or rather, it doesn't end there. It starts there. Because once we admit it, now we need to say, God, give me the wisdom to not do this any longer, to make better choices in my time and in my life. There are two types of confession that we see in the Word of God. Confession to God for forgiveness. This is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But then we also we confess to people for healing. And we pray for one another. This means that when I confess to God a sin struggle in my life and I know he's forgiven me in Christ, I go to those that I've offended and I say, would you pray for me about this and I'm sorry that I did this. It's not that we go to everyone and we stand on a stage and we air our dirty laundry as as Brother Lair said in that video. Anyone living in an apartment know what he was talking about when he said about the people fighting and stuff next door? Raise your hand if you lived in an apartment and you know what he's talking about. Those of you that don't have your hand raised, you need to live life. Go spend six weeks in an apartment building. Keep your home, but just go rent an apartment for six weeks and it will change your life, I promise you. We confess to others because we want to make sure they understand I need them. So let me ask you a question. Where does this type of honest prayer take us? I believe it gives us a cry to God, what we see at the end of the prayer. Search me. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sins. This is real honesty. David is crying out to God. And then it leads into the final part of the prayer. Lead me. I love that he ends there. Lead me. And how does he want to be led? He says, lead me in the way everlasting. We all have a need because when we pray this prayer, honestly, we will discover that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Let me ask you a question. When you ask God to search you and to reveal your fears and to uncover your sins, Guess what the result of those three things are? You have fallen short of the glory of God. You are loaded with fears. You are loaded with sin. And as he searches you and tries you in your natural state, he's finding nothing good. And it leads you to cry out and say, God, 
if I'm honest with you and I hear what you have to say about these things, I need you to lead me in the way everlasting. And guess where he starts when he's leading us in the way everlasting? By introducing us to the one who authors everlasting life, Jesus Christ. And when we find Christ as our Savior, now we say, okay, now that I know you, I want to continue to be led by you. Salvation is not the end of your Christian journey. It is the beginning of your Christian journey. It is the beginning of your life. And so we realize, I have fallen horribly short. Isn't that what Romans says? Romans 3, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, that sin has this weight on us, that no man seeks after God, that we are in need of him to lead us into the way of everlasting, to introduce us into everlasting life. We are not perfect, and we are full of offensive ways. We need his grace to lead us into the way everlasting. We need his grace to carry us through this life. When you know Christ is your Savior, you still have fears. You still can commit sin acts. And you still need him to search you and to try you. And why? To be more like Jesus Christ. To be more like him so we can tell others about him. As a believer, we must desire to follow him in all things. Surrender is the main attribute of the life of a Christian. You see, our identity must be in Christ alone. We let him conform us into his image. I don't want to get too far ahead, but in November, I want to just walk through the book of Ephesians with us. We're not going to go verse by verse, but we're going to hit some highlights in the book of Ephesians in November. And we're going to start talking about our identity in Christ. And I'm telling you right now that if you know Christ as your Savior, then you need to submit to him and surrender to him and to ask him to lead you. So I want to ask you a question. Do you see the progression in this prayer of David? Do you see the progression that we've covered this morning in just a short time? He starts off with his heart or desires. Then he moves to his mind or his thoughts. Then to his actions or the way in me, which manifests in what we do. Finally, he prays for future leading in, I believe, all these areas. Our heart and our desires, our thoughts and our minds, our actions, and then our future behaviors and thoughts. And you see how David is saying it starts in the heart. It starts with the desire, things we hunger for, and then we dwell on the things we desire, and then we act out the things we desire and we think about, and that creates a pattern of behavior. My priorities are determined by my heart and my mind. My, my, my joys and my, my success and my failure, it's all determined by what I desire and what I dwell on in my thoughts. And so here's the reality. If I know my mind and I know my heart and I put them in subjection to Christ, then I know my actions will be what? Christ-like. And then when I say I want to be led by you, I will see myself living continuously, faithfully in things that would please God. Do you see how David, not just haphazardly, but he went through this logically, this makes sense. It's connected. And I know we think, men think, well, I'm not driven by my heart. I'm driven by my mind. That's a lie. And I've, I heard a, a speaker say this, and I love this. Any man that says he's not emotional, take him into his favorite sport. Put on the favorite team that's getting their tail handed to him. Let's say it that way. And you watch this man that's all logical and intense get very emotional. How about anyone that says, I'm not, I'm not a very emotional guy, but he likes to golf. Take him on the golf course. After he shanks a couple sideways, you're not going to see logic. You're going to see emotion. Right? 
It's just such a lie. Men tell ourselves, oh, I'm not emotional. Where did it become wrong for a man to be emotional? And I'm not talking about feminine emotions. I'm just talking about real emotion. Let me ask you a question. What did Jesus do as a man, the perfect man, the God man, do when he showed up at the funeral of Lazarus? Oh, that's girly stuff. I don't, I don't cry. Man, you've been lied to. We have a broken male culture in this society today that have taught men that it's okay to just push all that stuff down that God has designed you with. Man, you need to understand, you have a heart and it is full of desires and whether you acknowledge it or not, it's leading your thoughts which leads your actions. No one, I'm just, I'm being honest right now. Nobody trips and falls into adultery. Oops, adultery. It started somewhere. It started with a desire, started with a passion, a lust that wasn't checked. Then it led to thoughts, and we dwelled on those thoughts, and all of a sudden, oops. But see, this is how we act. We start with the behavior, the manifestation of the heart and the thoughts, and we try to tackle this only. If I can just stop doing this, if I can just stop doing that and stop saying this, and if I can just clean up this behavior and make this better, and the Spirit of God is saying, hey, hey, that's great to stop this, but if you don't address your heart or your mind, you're only going to have momentary success. And so my cry to you is, will we pray what David prayed? Will we pray a dangerous prayer? Are you ready to take a dangerous step in your Christian walk? Are you ready to pray a prayer that will shake the very core of your life if you pray it openly and honestly and not just because the pastor's telling you to or because everyone else in church you think will, but you're going to pray this prayer continuously out of a heart of desire to see God shake you and change you and make you into the God or to the Christ-like image that God wants you to be. So if you are, here's what I want you to do. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. If you're ready, you're saying, I'm going to pray that prayer. I don't care what anyone else in this church does. I'm praying that prayer because God has led me to pray this prayer. I want to be searched and tried. My fears revealed, my sins uncovered, and I want to be led in the way everlasting. Then we're going to have an invitation. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to have a couple people up front here that if you want to pray with somebody, you can. If you want to just come and pray and you want to bend a knee and say, God, search me, try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Just, you know my thoughts. You know where I'm at. God, try me and test me. You want to come and bend a knee. Don't even worry about anyone else. Don't think about anything else. You just respond to what he is doing in your life. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we're, as a church, we're ready to take that step. Lord, we're ready to pray some dangerous prayers. Lord, we're ready for, through those prayers, as you shape us and change us and, and lead us, Lord. We're ready for a fire to be started in our lives. And that fire is going to be sparked through your Holy Spirit, giving us wisdom and guidance in your word as we confess and repent of our sins. And that fire is going to spread. It's not just going to stay with us. It's going to flow out of us. And it's going to impact lives and relationships around us to your glory. And so, Lord, I'm just praying that individuals in this room right now that have been led by you, that are being led by you, that know you as Savior, to pray this prayer, that they would be ready and willing. Lord, maybe they want to come and pray up here with them, pray in your seats. 
but they're just going to cry out, search me. Search me. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sins. I repent and I confess of them. I seek forgiveness for those. And I want to be led by you. Maybe somebody in this room doesn't know you as Savior. Maybe they've gone to church their whole life, but never personally received Christ as their Savior, and they're ready to take that step. They realize that in their sin, they can't do anything to save themselves. They need you. Religion, good works, it's all fallen short. But you, Lord Jesus, came and died on the cross for our sins. We want to confess our sins, repent of those sins, and trust in your death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. I want to be led by you. Father, would you lead, guide, and direct during this time? May we just respond to what you're doing. May we trust that when we open up our hearts to you, that you are good and trustworthy, that we know that you know good, what, what's good for us, what we need, and so we surrender. Father, do all of this to your glory and by your power, we ask in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Don't think about it. If God is leading you to pray that dangerous prayer, come and pray. Bend a knee. Lord, search me and try me and seek, seek out my heart. Test me. You want to come and pray with someone? There's someone up front here that will pray with you. You want to come and pray on your own or with your wife or husband or family member or friend, whatever. Just respond to him as we sing.